morning. We are continuing in our study in Mark. Last week we looked at the first six chapters. Uh, sorry, that was a lot. Six verses of chapter six. Um, and Jesus coming back to his hometown. We recognize that Jesus came back to his hometown in Nazareth. Um, it's where he grew up as a boy. Um, and then he, of course, went into adulthood and sent out to ministry. And he comes back to Nazareth with his disciples, meaning that he came back to Nazareth, at Nazareth as a rabbi, as a teacher. And he was teaching, it says, on the Sabbath, and he was teaching in the synagogue. And many listeners, it says, were astonished. As we talked about last week, they had like this V8 moment, like this is Jesus coming back to teach us. And they were astonished, and they were uh, uh, appalled by his teaching, but not to the point that they necessarily changed. In fact, Mark's passage talks about uh, the content was never in question, it was who it was that was teaching. And so we looked at that last week, and we looked at the questions that the crowd crowd began to ask because they said, wait, isn't this just a carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's son? We, We know his brothers and sisters. How could Jesus be the one to do all these amazing things? They may have been talking about Mary's son in regards to how Jesus was conceived in the virgin birth and how there's a little sketchy background of Jesus. In the end of verse 3, it says that they, the Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, they who heard his teaching, took offense at him. So what was Jesus' response? Verses 4 through 6 say that Jesus... Of course, the familiar passage says that a prophet is not welcome in their hometown. And they rejected him because they didn't understand him. They didn't know what he had come for. Jesus' sole purpose in coming was a love story, a love plan to reconcile God to man that had sinned, that had been separated. And that was his message in Nazareth, and that is his message today. And we looked at this idea of honor. Like, what does it mean to honor? Well, honor has this definition of respect manifested, meaning that there is a response, an obedience to those we honor. Like when we honor our father and mother, that there's a response, that we obey what they say. And that is the honor that Jesus deserved from those in Nazareth and deserves from us today, that we honor him by our obedience. Now, I trust the Lord this past week reminded each of you in some way to honor the Lord. Uh, to respect and obey him. Now this morning, we continue in chapter 6. Jesus is going to be sending out the 12 disciples. But before we go any further this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of the words that we've already sang, that you are the same God, that you love us unconditionally, that you love us, as Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. God, I thank you for this morning and the people who have come, those who are watching online to worship with us. God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would find us this morning ready to hear from you, that there will be a clear sense of your presence, a clear sense of your voice speaking to our hearts and minds and revealing to us how you want us to live out the truth that you speak to us about this morning. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or beside you or behind you that they would hear from the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, before Jesus sends out his disciples, he gives them some specific and significant principles in order that they can share and serve him. So the main point of today that I want us to to get our heads around, maybe you've heard this before, but I want to repeat it this morning, is this, that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. In other words, when God calls us, he gives us, equips us with everything we need. Now, there may be times where we do not feel adequate. And the truth is, we aren't. Jesus equips us to make us adequate. There may be times where we feel not worthy. And the truth is, we're not worthy on our own, but it has been given to us our worthiness through Christ and the power of Christ. And there may be times where we think, man, I'm really going to mess things up. And the truth is, We probably will. But Jesus still entrusts us and is with us to share his message of love and hope. Jesus never leaves you or I unprepared for our mission for him. He sees much further down the road than we see. Much deeper into our hearts and knows the potential we have because he is in us. I was spending some quality time with a friend recently, and we're talking about life and how he loves to, to meet with people. And one of the things he loves about people is that he loves to hear their stories and to talk to them about their stories and maybe where God is showing up in their lives. And one of the things he said, that he said, I love to see and communicate the potential of what could be, not necessarily what is. And that's the message of hope that we have. That God gives us a message of hope to share, to remind people of what could be, rather than what is. Jesus was leading his disciples one step forward, one more step in faith. And and like the disciples, and like us, sometimes the disciples take one step forward and two steps back. And this is a step forward, and it's a significant one. It's an eternal one. It's, in fact... A step that's going to change people's lives, including their own. One author said this, Jesus was taking them out of the classroom and calling them out into the field to put their faith to practice. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he, Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now this setting can also be found, the story of Jesus sending out the twelve can also be found in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 9. 
Now, I believe this passage, as I, I studied this week uh, and, and earlier, that this passage has six different principles or, or kind of basic essentials that the disciples needed in fulfilling the call that Jesus was given to them. Now, at the beginning of the week, I was going to do all six principles. And you're very glad that I did not do all six principles this morning. In fact, I'm just going to do the first one. And we're going to look at the next five next week. I realize it's probably going to take us till 2030 if we only look at one verse a week. But this morning, we're going to look at one verse this week. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's the reason why. Because I believe this one verse is going to dictate or equip or help us understand the rest of the five principles. Because if we miss this first one, we're going to miss it all. This part one of today's message is where we understand the motive, the why, and the who we are to share and serve. Next week is more of the how-tos and what we'll face while we're serving. So the first thing we're going to look at is in verse 7, it says Jesus summoned the twelve to them. He was summoned by the Savior. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirit. Verse 7, he summoned them. Now the word summon here... Uh, in the Greek, means to call. Like if you look at the ESV or the NIV, you'll see that there may be the word call instead of summon. That he called him to himself. The, the, the point is, is that Jesus, before he sends them out, calls them to himself. Now I want to ask a simple, maybe rhetorical question, but something for you to be thinking about. What does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean to be with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus this week? What, is it, what does it look like? Is it, is it a devotional? Is it reading the Bible? Is it prayer? We talk about being with Jesus, but what does it look like? How would you defend or argue that, yes, I have been with Jesus? Remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they were talking about John and Peter. And it says this, They had observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What did they look like? Another translation says that they were marveled, they admired them. And they took they took knowledge of them. Now, this, this phrase, took knowledge of them, comes from a root word that means that they were known by some distinguishing mark. And so it begs the question then, what are the distinguishing marks that you have been with Jesus? That I have been with Jesus. What are the distinguishing marks of my life that I have been with Jesus? Now, Jesus had modeled this before them. He had modeled a life of personal time with his father. And so there's an important principle that we need to understand. And it may sound a little off at first. But for Jesus, ministry to others wasn't his first priority. It was time with his father. For Jesus, ministry to others was not his first priority. It was time with his father. Nor does our ministry need to be, to others, our first priority. 
Now, what's the biblical background for this? Remember when the Pharisees and the religious rulers and the Sadducees were kind of getting together, they said, Jesus, what is the greatest command? Remember what he said? Jesus answered by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. This is crucial in sharing and serving Jesus, that our first priority is to be with Jesus. And the principle is this. You can't give away what you don't have. Loving Jesus. Being loved by Jesus. Jesus is summoning the disciples to himself. That comes first, and people come second. Because in time with his Father, Jesus, and in time with Jesus for us, are reminded of our identity, of our power, of our patience, of our purpose. All that comes from being alone with God, our receiving love. Our, our embracing this gracious position we've been given as sons and daughters. Being with Jesus is where our confidence comes from, our security, our convictions, our stability, purpose, peace, direction, clarity, rest, understanding, that settled feeling, assurance, identity. All that comes from being with Jesus. And the opposite is also true. That when we are not with Jesus, all that gets clouded. And we begin seeking answers from somebody other than Jesus, including ourselves. And we try to make sense of things about who we are and whose we are. So just take 30 seconds to think about your time with Jesus this past week. How would you describe it? How would Jesus describe it? Was it sacred? Was it hurried? Was it quiet? Was it deep? Was it focused on him? Was it focused on you? What did being with Jesus look like for you? And what are the distinguishing marks from being with Jesus? Jesus was about to send out the twelve. But first he says, I summon you, I call you to me first. Simply put, we cannot neglect our time spent with Jesus and go at it on our own. If being with the Father was Jesus' first priority, then our being with Jesus has to be our first priority. Now, another thing about this verse that's important is that we need to recognize who it is that's given us the mission and given us the call. This is a direct divine call from the King, King Jesus. And because of who it is that summon us, our attitude and outlook must take on a more serious approach. Because this call is an eternal call. Have you ever noticed, just in your day, how focused our attention can become on the temporary? Our wants and desires, our pursuits can sometimes be so temporary Minded or focused. The here and now. The immediate satisfaction. The quick pleasure. That's why we get impatient with people. But Jesus is calling us to a deeper 
slower, more intimate, more thoughtful, more eternal perspective. He wants our minds to be fixed on the eternal rather than the temporary. And that happens when we spend time with Jesus. Therefore, it helps us understand that our call will not be based on my opinion or my preferences, but about his, the king's, eternal call on my life. I think we can have input with Jesus, but at the end of the day, it's his call. So let me just ask if you can identify maybe with me by just giving me a head nod or a head shake. How many of you ever used or thought about excuses or justifications like, yeah, but I'm just too busy? There's a, there's a few. <laughs> or I don't think he's really talking to me. Or I'm tired. You know, when you think about our excuses or justifications in light of eternity, they really don't hold up very well. So when you and I trusted Christ as our Savior, the simplicity of discipleship and service was focused on honoring Jesus and serving Jesus as He sees fit. That's what Lordship is all about. Jesus knows fully well that following God is hard. It's difficult, and it's constant. One day I was having a hard day. Heavy stuff at church, different issues with people and ministry, busy life. I just didn't want to be around anybody. I just didn't like people that week. Anybody ever been there? I just wanted to kind of quit. I just want to get out of the fight. So a friend called me who knows me well, and he called me and said, Remember that passage in Ephesians chapter 6? The one about the full armor of God, putting it on, yeah. He said, unfortunately, in that passage, the spiritual armor you put on, Jesus never gives a provision for you to take it off. I didn't know if I wanted to say thanks or hang up. <laughs> but it's true. Until Jesus comes and takes us home, we're in a battle. Constant. Serving Jesus is hard. So we need to be with Jesus. Because we'll hear him say things like this. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So take time for the important things. And the most important thing is your time with Jesus. Jesus, in his first coaching of the disciples, was to draw them to himself, to make it clear to them and us this service and ministry that we engage in is the most important thing of being with him first. Have you ever ministered with an overflow or an outflow of having been with Jesus? And you've experienced the victory and the joy and you've seen the fruit. That's what Jesus is desiring of his disciples. And so there's a mindset. Remember this. Think of it this way. 
Serving Jesus is not a mindset of what we have to do or even what we want to do. It is what we get to do. Jesus, when he summons us, reminds us that we get to participate with him in the gospel. The second thing I want us to look at is that we don't go alone. There are two points in this next phrase to take note of after Jesus summons them to himself. And the first one is, he began to send them. Now, in the first five chapters we've looked at, the disciples had seen Jesus teach. He had seen them do miracles. He had seen them cast out demons. A life, honestly, probably full of surprises as walking with Jesus. And now it's time for them to go. And at some point in our Christian journey with Jesus, there's going to be a time in our relationship with him that he's going to ask us to do something. Faith and action. And we call that obedience. After receiving Jesus and his mercy and grace, understanding his forgiveness and his restoration and his approval, then we decide for him and with him to obey him. It seems some of us can think or have been taught that once I'm saved, I'm good. And positionally, you are. But that's not the end of the story. After Jesus summons us and calls us to himself, he sends us. This week, this week I read a quote that said this, Many of our churches today are filled with Christians educated beyond their obedience. Let me say that again. Many of our churches today are filled with Christians educated beyond our obedience. Meaning this, that we take in and we take in and we take in Bible studies, life groups, podcasts, devotionals, books, sermons, songs, all of it, great stuff, wonderful stuff. But one of the purposes of godly input is godly output. A true disciple, a sincere follower of Jesus, takes what Christ has given us, has taught us, enjoys it, feasts on it, internalizes it for themselves, and then out of that, gives it and teaches it to others. We receive what we've been given from the Lord so that we might give it away. And if we look around, it doesn't take us long that there are people who need what we have. That's why Jesus says, Do not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. In other words, don't put off or make excuses what is clearly the heart of Jesus. That people would experience him through you. Now, can you just imagine what the disciples are thinking? Jesus, you, you want me to do what? You think there was any head nods or head shakings? They had witnessed some pretty incredible things. And he's sending them out. There may have been feelings of anxiety, anxiousness, insecurities, a little fear. 
Jesus drew them to himself to remind them that this is not about you. You can do this because I've equipped you. They are sent and so are we. Now there's a second phrase in this that they're sent out in a certain way and it says that they were sent out in pairs. Now it's not explicitly uh, communicated through the scriptures of why, but there are some reasons um, that we can take from it, some principles. One is, is that we all know the fertile soil of loneliness and how it can grow discouragement and despair and weakness. We can be tempted when we're alone. Because we all have this deep desire to be accepted and approved. And in being alone, we cry out, we long for, because that's how we were created. We were created in the image of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They all work together. And so Jesus is sending them out in pairs with this mentality of, you were created. You were created that way, to not work alone. Going out alone also fosters unrealistic expectations. How many of you ever have this thing happen where it's called self-talk? Where you kind of talk to yourself? And I heard it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't say, huh? You might get that on the way home. But we self-talk, and when we're by ourselves, we hear this unmet expectations. You're a failure. You're no good. You can't do that. And you need somebody beside you to go, that's a lie. That's not true. Going out alone fosters this unrealistic expectations. Going out alone and uh, going out in pairs would be less tempting for them to fall into self-pity or be discouraged or be overly fearful. And here's a principle, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls, and there's not another to lift him up. There's another religious, Jewish religious um, component to why Jesus sent him out in pairs too. When he sends them out in pairs, the Jewish law says a testimony or a witness from someone is not accepted or confirmed or affirmed if it's just one testimony. But it has to come from two people. Deuteronomy 19.15, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So a matter is confirmed when there's a pair of testimonies. So Jesus sends them out testifying about Jesus, and the testimony can be trusted and true. And there's another reason. I think he was also setting up not only encouragement, not only fulfilling a religious uh, obligation to the Jewish people, but I think there was also built into it this accountability of how we behave, that somebody can call us out on our stuff. Dietrich Bonhoeffer he was a German Lutheran pastor, and he wrote this famous work called Letters from Prison, and he said that he always put, was put off by people who talked a lot about God. He was helped much more by people who, while they may not have said a great deal, acted like God. And so in pairs, it builds in this encouragement and accountability to the call. 
So as you and I pray, we think about going out in pairs, pray with regards to relationships in mind. Now, in Matthew's account of this passage, you see that in Matthew chapter 10, a list of the pairings. We're not 100% sure that this is exactly how they're paired, but how Matthew wrote it appears and lends itself to how they were paired. Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, James and Thaddeus, Simon and Judas. Yes, Judas Iscariot. Now, can you think with me, while they're sitting around the circle and Jesus is kind of putting the pairs together, after calling them to themselves, how they may have been thinking? Andrew, oh man, I did not want to go to Peter. He is definitely going to get us in trouble. And Thomas, thinking, I'm not going with Matthew. Nobody likes Matthew. Or can you just imagine Simon saying, really, I got, I got to go with Judas? Do you know how much he talks about money? I remember in primary and elementary and even middle school when you would go to recess and you're getting ready to play kickball or basketball and they would line you up on the fence and they would pick two captains, right? And they would send out the captains and then they had to pick their team. And I remember looking around thinking, I don't want to be that last kid that gets picked. But then once you were picked, you started looking at who the next person was going to be on your team and they were like, oh man, that kid can't kick at all. We don't want him on our team. But then you finally get your team together, and you're kind of like, all right, listen, you play like way outfield. You start figuring out how you're going to work together to win the game. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He puts people together, maybe not like they like each other, but how are you going to win the game? And the principle is this. There is no time for pettiness in our response to the call of serving Jesus. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the pettiness of people's personalities and their preferences that we forget about the ultimate goal, which is lifting up Jesus to the glory of God. Now, I said it in the first service, and I thought about not saying it at all, but I'm going to say it because I think it probably needs to be said is that there are Democrats who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are Republicans who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our political opinions and preferences are not more important than our unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are people who are going to have, always have, differing opinions than you on politics and government decisions and viruses and vaccines and church dynamics and sports teams, different and everything under the sun. And the world and our culture has to be thinking, have you got anything in common? Look how you treat each other. But there is one thing that greater than all of that, and that's our message, is that yes, Jesus... Jesus is greater than all that. But let's start leading with that. Okay. There are brothers and sisters in Christ that are different. Some a little different. Some a lot different. But you know what? They may think of you as different. All those differences are a distant second to the shed blood of Jesus that saved us all. 
and the grace and forgiveness that we so desperately needed. Do you remember in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, and he says this, I pray that you will make them one as you and I are one. Why does he pray that? Well, he answers that question at the end of the verse. So that the world may believe that you sent me. So maybe the mismatching of pairing of the disciples being sent out was the miracle that the people needed to see that they could get along. And maybe that's what the miracle people need to see today. That our message and our love of Jesus is bigger than anything else. John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians 5, 21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Working together validates our testimony and it unifies our message. Jesus knew this when he was sending out the 12. And the last thing I want to look at this morning is the the phrase that he gives at the end of verse 7. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Jesus gives us two important things when he sends us out after being summoned to him. He gives us responsibility and he gives us authority. The language Mark uses in this phrase is that it was a delegated authority. It was an equipping authority. Jesus says, I qualify the call. When I call you, I give you everything you need. I know there's a lot to unpack this morning in one verse. But if we miss this verse, we miss the rest of them. And I, want to make, I don't want to make an assumption this morning that you know what it means to be with Jesus. In order for us to share and serve Jesus, we first have to have a relationship with him. So I just want to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? I want to answer that question. A Christian are those of us who've understood God's great love for us and acknowledge that we didn't deserve it, that we've admitted that we were helpless, and the scripture says that we were sinners, separated from God, and he still came and died for us. That we needed a savior. And we accepted this free gift of eternal life that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And at that moment when we accept Christ, that we're given the Holy Spirit and sealed till the day of redemption. And because of that relationship, out of that relationship, out of that love and grace and forgiveness that we share and serve what we've been given. So let me ask first, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You may be here this morning thinking, I'd love to be a part of a great team. To have eternal impact it begins with a relationship with Jesus. You've got to respond to his calling you, to inviting you into that relationship. The second question I want to ask you is this. What does it mean to you to be with Jesus? 
what are the distinguishing marks of your having been with Jesus? Over the last couple of years, I've been involved in this program where we go for a retreat. We have listening groups where we meet with our listening group while we're there and then three times before we meet again. So I've met with them at least 10 or 12 times. And we've gotten to know each other pretty well. And one of the questions that we had to ask each other and answer this past time was this. How has God used the other person in your group to make you more like Jesus? It made for some good discussion. And it reminded me of this passage. What are the distinguishing marks that you're putting off, that Jesus is putting off through you, that's making me become more like Jesus? And what is it that I, what marks have, do I, am I, am I gleaning from, from the Lord to make you more like Jesus? I would encourage you to ask that, maybe in your families. The third question is, is there a deep conviction of the seriousness and urgency of God's call? If not, will you commit to pray for one? Do you recognize the eternal impact you and the Lord could have? It's a call from the King of Kings. So what's your attitude about it? Are you ready to be sent out? I, I imagine that there were some disciples in that group that really didn't like people. There may be some people in here that don't really like people. Don't want to be around them, don't want to talk to them. So what's your attitude about being sent out to people by Jesus? Jesus desires to take what we have been given so that we can give it out. What is your attitude about working in partnership with other believers? Finally, have you recognized the authority, credibility, and power you have been given by Jesus himself? If not, spend time with Jesus. Let him affirm to you what he has for you. I'm not sure what the Lord has spoken to you about this morning. But the Lord does, and you do. And I just pray that you respond. That you would have the courage to respond. Next week we're going to look at how the disciples go out and the instructions that Jesus gives. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for this morning. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this, this time where we can hear from you, this time that we can respond to you. God, I do pray that if anybody here has never responded to the invitation to begin a relationship with you, that this would be the morning that that in their hearts and minds that they would respond, that they would see me or anybody after the service. And God, I pray too that you would help us, that you would help us understand what you're calling us to, that you would give us an eternal perspective, that you would give us a right attitude, that you would give us joy about sharing the greatest message that we've ever heard. And we'll trust you with the results of all that. In Jesus' name, amen.